better because I can't give up. Gotta keep moving forward because I can't get stuck. Don't know how to express all them things that I feel. Sometimes I wonder to myself, man, is this all even real? But then I realize that my faith's in God's hands and that this pain has a purpose. It's all a part of his plan, yeah. What's up and welcome to The Hallway with your host, Kent Thornquist. It's a blessing to be here with you and I'm really excited to dive into episode two. Today we're going to talk about picking up where I left off in the last episode. So I shared my testimony, I shared what God's done in my life, but I want to talk about one of the first things that I really felt in the hallway. So right after I got saved, as I've talked about, I had a lot change. New new job or lack thereof a job for a season, uh, girlfriend left, a lot of life change. Friends walked away from me. I had several friends that were like, man, I'm not associating with you now that you're a Christian because you're going to you know, judge me every time I you know, smoke weed or do drugs or drink, which couldn't have been further from the truth. But I found myself in the hallway. God closed the door and I was waiting on him to open another one. But I just sat down. I was like, I don't know what this looks like yet. I've never been in the hallway, God. I'm just going to sit down. And I had some thoughts that went through my mind as I rested in the hallway waiting on that next door. So we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to read it off. It says in Luke 15, beginning with verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I love what that means. I love what that represents. The father comes running across the field to the son and embraces him. And he is full of compassion for him. That is us so many times in our walk with Christ. When we walk away and we do our own thing, but when we come back, the Father's right there. And notice the Father's not scolding him, 
and telling him everything he did wrong, he's first going to love him and make sure he's fed and he's taken care of and he's warm and he's cleaned up. He's going to celebrate that you're home. I love what that means for us. And so before I go to the next verse in here, I want to segue to a cup of coffee I had with a friend one time. So a friend and I uh, had a conversation about life. It's about ministry and life and, and what it means to be a follower of Christ and things like that. And he had a confession to make. And the confession was, he said, I'm jealous of you. I said, I'm kind of confused because you are just as successful, if not more successful than I am in life. And you have everything that I could possibly want. I don't know why you would be jealous of me. And he said, it's not those things I'm jealous of, but I'm jealous that you got to go out and go do all this stuff. You know, you got to go to parties and um, live a, a, a reckless but fun lifestyle for a season of your life. You got to do all these things. And then when you were ready, you came to Jesus. And it kind of took me back for a moment because in, in all honesty, I'd always been jealous of him. I was jealous of the fact that he could have normal conversations with people. And I was jealous of the fact that he didn't have to go to therapy every Monday just to keep the dogs at bay in his life. You know, I was jealous of the fact that he never had to have difficult conversations with his wife to explain why he is the way he is. I was jealous of the family dynamic that he grew up with. I was jealous of a lot of things about him. And so I shared that with him. I don't know why you'd be jealous of me. I've always been jealous of you. And he was taken back by it. And we had a phenomenal conversation about what this meant in our lives. And at the end of it, I was able to learn that for every Christian that's out there that says, you know, man, your testimony is so exciting and so fun. Mine is so boring. You know, my, my testimony is just boring. You know, I was raised in the church and, and I've always probably, I've always been a Christian. You know, I hear that all the time. I've always been a Christian, which, you know, it's not really a thing. We have to give our lives to Christ at some point, but I was always a Christian. I know what they mean by it. And I, I, I think that we need each other. The body needs each other. And so when I met my wife, it was really when I started to understand this and I got more Christians around me who come from a pretty cleaned up background by comparison to my story and the story of a few others that I, I know of that are pretty rough. And what I came to realize was that we need each other as different puzzle pieces. So I have a broken image of what a family looks like. I can't, I don't, I shouldn't marry someone who also has a broken image of what a family looks like. Because, and this is something that I was told literally my first week as a Christian, two broken people trying to fix each other, right? That's not really going to work. But when I can marry someone who comes from a two-parent background in a nice community and she's had a normal upbringing, she can help expose some things in my mind, some biases and some ignorances that I might have and say, hey, you know that's not a normal way of thinking, right? That's not a normal way to process that information. That's not a normal way to handle that situation. 
here's the best way to do that. And because she comes from a more put together background, she can help educate some of my ignorances in life. Now, in the same respect, I can educate her about some of the things that she was never exposed to. I can break down some of those biases. I can educate some of those ignorances that she might have. And together, we're able to be better, both as individuals and as collective. I think that that is one of the most beautiful images of Christians coming together and sharing those experiences. And that's what me and this brother did that day. We got to share about our different experiences. Instead of letting our differences separate us and cause division, we allowed it to grow us closer together. So picking back up in Luke, we find ourselves in verse 25. And if I'm being honest, which I will always strive to be on the podcast and in life, I had never read the second half of this. A friend of mine said it to me one time. He said, what are your thoughts on the second half of of Luke 15 uh, and the prodigal son's brother? I said, I'm not familiar with that story, uh, but I'd love for you to tell me about it. And he told me all about it. And I went home and read it for myself and was blown away that I'd never read this. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go inside the house. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you were always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and he's now found. I love that. I love that. You were always with me. For that believer out there who's who's been a follower of Christ for as long as they can remember. That's the best way to say that. For as long as I can remember, I've been a follower of Christ. You were always with me. Meaning, you were that close to the Father. I probably spared you from a lot of things in life. Your brother, on the other hand, went out and yeah, he did these things on his own. But He's now going to have to deal with the, the you know, internal consequences of that. You know, Not saying that you know because Christ went to the cross for us. I'm saying the, the cleanup from this, you know, the therapy and, and the fallout from it and what that person is going to have to go through. You know, that's what, what, I got, what I got from this. And so I want to talk about right after I got saved, I tried to be as active as I possibly could in the church I was going to. So I did co-ed soccer, Bible studies as much as I possibly could, uh, home Bible studies, and I did men's basketball. And I tried to be as active as I could. And I always felt like, yeah, I had a seat in the circle, but I wasn't viewed as an equal in the circle. I was always the outsider looking in. Uh, The artist Lecrae has a song where he talks about being an outsider. 
kind of looking in to the Christian culture, but never being fully embraced by it. And one of my first experiences in the hallway was exactly that. You know, God, I, I believe you, you've accepted me as I am and you're going to change my life and that you've went to the cross for me and you died for me. I believe these things, God. I don't know if I believe that they're going to be able to get past me. And if I'm being honest, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get past them. I don't know if I'm going to be able to deal with the fact that every car in this parking lot is a BMW or that ministry projects are in nice neighborhoods when we do neighborhood cleanups. Because I'm not seeing a lot of trash in this neighborhood, Lord, right? These are the kind of conversations I'm having with myself right after being saved. And so I started spending a lot of time with Christians, and I kind of got to see that I wasn't going to be as embraced as other people were going to be because they knew my backstory. Not only did they know my backstory, but I'm confident that some of these people at that time were kind of wondering if this was really real. Is he only doing this for a girl is he just doing this to take advantage of us in some way? You know, what's his ulterior motive? And I remember being at basketball or Bible studies and just, you know, peeping a few things out. Someone would come over and they'd grab their purse because it sat next to me a little bit too long. Or they'd zip up their, their wallet or their purse. Or at basketball, they would come over and I'd go to get a drink next to somebody else's stuff and I'd see someone else come over and lift up their stuff to make sure that their keys and their wallet and their phone are still there. There was a trust element that really wasn't there. And I struggle with that because now I've been a believer for eight years. When someone comes to me and says, hey, my name is so-and-so, I'm a Christian, I get an ease over my body. You know, I'm like, oh man, we're family. I don't know you at all. Well, you just told me that we got the same father. So I'm going to, you know, love you as much as I possibly can, even though I don't know you. You know, and I think it's safe to say that when someone says that, I kind of let my guard down a little bit. You know, I got a shirt on that says, uh, save not soft, just a friendly reminder for anyone that might have misinterpreted the I let my guard down part. But I really do. I kind of let my guard down a little bit because I'm like, man, we're family. That's not the embrace that I felt from a lot of these groups, from a lot of these people, you know, and, and it hurt. It hurt a lot early on because it wasn't God that I was struggling with at this point. It was really the body that I was kind of wrestling with accepting. And I talk about this perceived hostility or this perceived animosity. I believe that there were Christians at the time who were huddling together, you know, broken people huddled together. And I believe these people were huddling together, talking about how they didn't believe that I was a follower of Christ. How I can't believe that that pastor is going to disciple that person. You know, I can't believe they're letting him come to this church. You know, the guy who smells like weed on Sunday mornings, I can't believe they're letting him, I can't believe they're letting him come to the Bible study group. And, and I genuinely believe in my heart there are people out there praying to God to expose me, expose me for being a fraud. And I can't help but think that when you pray prayers like that, I think that it's, it's got to fall on deaf ears because the father that I know doesn't want that division in the body. And so 
I, I believed it back then, but I believe it more now than I ever have. That there are Christians out there that when they hear a testimony like mine, and I'm not for a second going to pretend up here that I was living that life or I was about that life for 10, 15 years. I dabbled in that lifestyle for a couple few years. It was not like I was doing this thing for an extremely long time. I've heard Christians' testimonies who are significantly, they were significantly deeper in that pit than I was, and God pulled them out. My concern is that this level of hostility that takes place in the body, you know, I'm bringing up a problem that I've noticed. I noticed it for myself, and in eight years of walking with Christ, I've never one time heard someone talk about this. I've never heard it on either side, though. The gangbanging ex-drug addict Christian, who I know for a fact has felt mistreated, has never said it. Because guess what? They're just happy they're here. I'm just, I'm just thankful y'all let me in the room. I'm not going to rock the boat at all because you guys are letting me come to this nice church. And you guys are letting me utilize resources. And you know what? If I, if I act really good, you might let me tell your congregation my story. So that I can be the token messed up person in the church. And on the other side, why would someone bring that up? Why would they bring up that, that when someone comes to Christ who they don't agree with the lifestyle they were living, that they can sense that other people in this circle are treating them a little bit different? Neither side's ever brought up this problem. I've never heard it talked about. And I want to talk about it because I think that people are going to be impacted. I said this the other day in a message. How we walk with others impacts them a lot. I just preached about the fruit of the Spirit, and I preached about kindness. Kindness. I wouldn't say that was kind the way that people were making me feel at the time. Now, part of it could have been my own paranoia. Part of it could have been that. But it happened too frequently to only be that. And I've seen it happen in the lives of other people. I've seen people come to churches and be treated just a little bit different because of how they look or they act or even how they sound, you know, or treated differently in Bible study groups, you know, because they ask questions that, well, wouldn't everyone know that? No, not everyone would know that because I didn't sing Father Abraham at six years old. Not everyone's going to know that, right? So I think it's really important for the body to understand that this is a problem. But as any leader understands, we don't bring problem without bringing solution. I've realized those groups still huddle today. They're still out there today praying on my downfall, praying for God to expose me, praying that what they view as all these blessings in my life, praying for God to take that stuff from me. That is a wild thought for me to know that there are people out there who profess to be Christians who are praying for another Christian to have their life impacted. Wild to me to think that there are people out there that are saying that they are Christians and they're followers of God, yet they would do that to one of their own. Now, does it worry me in the slightest bit? Not at all. Not at all. Does it worry me a little bit? It didn't worry me back then. It sure as heck isn't going to worry me now. 
because back then I wasn't on stable ground. I wasn't on a firm, firm foundation in my footing in my walk with Christ, but I'm standing 10 toes down now. So it doesn't stress me out at all that people are doing that because I walk with integrity and vulnerability is my superpower. I'll talk about my own sin way before someone else does. If you don't think I talk about my sin, go back to episode one and listen to that. So for anyone that's out there that, that has this problem, as I was saying, leaders bring up problems, but they bring solutions with it. And I think that I've learned something over the last eight years about this. And one of the solutions is recognizing the different puzzle pieces, as I talked about. That's an important element to this. Recognizing that we're all beneficial in the body. We all have gifts. We all have talents. So that's, that's one of the solutions. But the other one is breaking bread together. Getting a cup of coffee together. And talking about the things that concern us. I think that more things in life could be settled over a cup of coffee and a conversation than we realize. More disagreements and hatred could be set aside if people would just take the opportunity to hear each other out. My friend and I who sat down, we could have harbored some weird jealousy for each other for years to come that could have separated us. But instead, we had that conversation and allowed us not only to clear the air, but grow closer together. I'm able to look to him for answers in my life. And he's able to look, for me, look to me for answers in his life in certain areas. So that's one of the solutions. Sitting down and having those conversations and just airing out what we're thinking. But what is the, where is the appropriate place for this? What's the appropriate timing, right? What does this look like? I believe we find the answer to this in God's word. You know, it says in God's word, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I love that. Meaning, God, you're preparing this table for me and you're going to make my enemies watch. You're going to prepare this table for me in their line of sight. I love that. And I'm not saying just enemies that I might have here. I'm talking about in the spiritual realm too, in the spiritual Attacks take place in my life. You know, it, it's not good to know. I would not want to know for a split second how many spiritual attacks God had to protect me from just today. It wouldn't be good for my human brain to understand that. It wouldn't be good to know how many battles there are going on around me. In the same way, it's not good to wonder about every little whisper said about you. It's not healthy. It's not good to care about every little thing. And, and I think it's smart in the wise words of, of a close friend of mine, when someone make, makes accusations about you, taking the stance of, well, I hope that's not true. I hope that's not true. I'm not going to go into full debate with every single person that says something about me. I hope that's not true. And if it is, then God will, you know, God will bring that out. But we shouldn't be praying on someone else to be exposed. So God prepares that table for me in the presence of my enemies. Well, it says right here, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. The son, the younger son is inside the house celebrating 
that God, you know, has has re-embraced him into his arms. The father has re-embraced him. The son's inside the house celebrating that while the other son is out in the field. So my invitation to anyone out there is come inside the house. Sit down at the table with the father and have these conversations. Break bread together and celebrate. Celebrate that the brother was there the whole time. You can help me. You can help me in this journey because guess what? Now I got to deal with a lot of the, you know, residual from this. You can help me with this. Let's let's go inside the house. Let's break bread with the father. So for anyone out there that has had those conversations, I'm not going to stress about that because I'm not outside the house. I'm going to be right there at the table, staring the father in the eyes, knowing that he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And what does it say? It says, so they began to celebrate. I'm just going to celebrate that God pulled me out of a pit. I'm going to celebrate that I was on a, I was on the, the highway that I didn't want to be on. And God saved me from that. I, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. So guess what? I'm going to celebrate what God's done in my life. And I'm going to be thankful for that every single day. I'm not going to wake up in the morning going, man, I wonder what so-and-so is thinking about me. I wonder what so-and-so is saying about me. I'm not worried about what so-and-so is saying about me. I'm concerned about what God says to me. And God says, you are a child of mine. So why would I worry about what anyone else says? And this isn't some passive, aggressive attack on any one style of people because I want people out there to view this as just bringing something out into the open that hasn't been previously talked about. Let's have conversations. I'm not even specifically referring to my life. My hope and prayer for this podcast episode is that someone states away, hears this, and goes, man, I've been the person judged. Or even better, man, I've been the person judging that guy at my church or that girl at my church who comes in with a checkered past. You know, I had someone say to me one time uh, at my job, they said, they said, how'd you get a job like this with a checkered past like you got? And I remember, man, it kind of hurt me for a little 30 second period. And then I got past it. For the person out there with the checkered past that we've been asking, how has this person, how is this person at my church with that kind of checkered past? I hope that this podcast lands on them and the Holy Spirit lands on them to say, man, maybe you've, maybe we've messed up in this area, you know? And maybe I've messed up in this area. Maybe I haven't had these conversations enough with people around me to say, hey, I'm not a threat, you know? I really have changed. I really do walk with Christ. I really do love you, you know? There needs to be an accepted accountability on both sides. And so my hope and prayer is that anyone that hears this is encouraged to step out of their comfort zone in this area. And I had this conversation with God in the hallway for a long time. And I think that when we bring things like this into the air, bring it out into the open, that there can be restoration, that there can be uh, just barriers broke down, strongholds torn down in our lives. So 
I'm thankful that I had this opportunity for episode two. I hope I didn't ruffle up too many feathers uh, with anyone. And again, I'm excited for this podcast. I'm excited for it to help change the, the, the thought process a little bit and maybe bring something from the perspective of a Christian out into the open that we just haven't talked about before, that we haven't heard. So thank you for tuning in to episode two of the podcast. And uh, I look forward to you enjoying this and we'll be back next week. Hope you have a great day.